Three, two, one. All right. Men, it's fine. It's fine. You fucking weird, non-clapping ass. What the fuck? It's like three I wish times you could in a see row. Like what it looks like. It's just this little tiny fucking bar that's... I will be able to. I will be able to see it if I can hear it. Then you know. But you just look so. It, it's it's like you're a little girl that's trying to fight, like a little girl trying to fight where she just like, or a little boy fighter, where instead of hitting somebody, holds their face away because they don't want to get hit in the face. Yeah, and then just like flings their hands out. That's what you look like when you clap every fucking time. I can't time. fucking do it. Again. <laughs> Oh God! Oh, God, that's hysterical. It's man. every fucking week. I can clap. Look, I can I, do it. It's just I know, it's that but one. It, it's that one. I that get three, nervous. Two, one, and you get nervous that you're not gonna clap right. Oh my God! <laughs> Fuck! <laughs> <laughs> I'm Don Hall, and I'm David Himmel, and this is the Literate Apecast. Be advised, these apes are not emotional support animals, and they fling verbal poo. Listen with caution. W. Bush is basically a war criminal. Not even basically. He's a war criminal I, that has not been tried. Yes. I think, here, here's the thing. I don't give a shit who Ellen is friends with. I don't care. Yeah. Ellen's life, yeah, her, I mean, it's her whatever. Fucking business. Right. I 100% agree with her that you can be and arguably should be friends with people who have different views, different uh, different opinions, different points of view. That that's how That's how we grow. That's how we learn things. It's how society's supposed to work. It's how society's supposed to work. But there's a difference between being friends with somebody that you don't have have the exact same views on, you know, don't share the exact same views, and chumming it up with a man who, setting aside that during his presidency, the policies and the stance that he took against LGBTQ, the LGBTQ community. Yep. Like, he didn't just, he didn't just, like, not have a, like, even Reagan was like, Eh, I'm just not going to do it. Anything. Bush yeah. took action against that community. So, so Ellen. Did, so did Bill Clinton. True. So did Bill Clinton. Um, but her emails. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I just throw that in there. Yeah. Um, but uh, and Ellen is like the sp- you know like the de facto LGBTQ spokesperson because she came out and, her sh- and like good for her like right on okay. But that's not a permanent job. It's not the, She's not a Supreme Court justice, right? Like, it's not a lifetime yeah. position. She also didn't ask for it. She doesn't have to reapply every year. But here, so setting that aside, here's the bigger issue. She can disagree with him all she wants on the gay stuff. But he is responsible for pushing a lie, creating a lie, the largest validating the largest a lie preemptive war in the history of the country that is responsible based on completely faulty bullshit and, and it was lies. and it was because he wanted he was dealing with his political um vanity and his daddy issues 
And he was. I don't think it had anything to do with his daddy issues. I'll be perfectly honest. I that's think is. I think everybody gives it credit. I think it was all Cheney. I think all of it was Cheney, and I think George W. Bush, just like he is now, is just sort of like a guy that was just drunk and floating, floating on. He's a bumbling goofball, and I'm sure he's a blast. I'm sure that it, it would be See, a I, blast to hang out with him in a in a skybox at a if, football game. It, you know, if Hitler was a, a sort of a dipshit, and it was all Hitler, it doesn't really make any difference. He was a war criminal. He started a war that right. didn't need to happen, and it and it was the longest. He, and continues to be the longest protracted war in the history of our country. Right. And he, more people yeah. have died over this, and more money has been wasted over this than probably any war we've ever had in this in our history. And where the the LGBTQ community can I don't know if there've been I, I I'm not in that community. I mean I'm 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 certainly an ally of that community, but um I I guess gains have been made since the Bush administration for that community. I mean there's, you know, gay marriage is more legal. I feel like it's more accepted. This is from a narrow perspective. I'm again no, cis- everything is better. Everybody talked about how bad it is. Everything right. is better. You know what's not better is what's that better? family that lost their their son or daughter because of Cheney and Bush's war. Yeah, that still empty seat at the Thanksgiving dinner table. You know that like these families were fucking destroyed. Cities were destroyed in the Middle East. ISIS exists because of what Bush and Cheney did. So palling around with somebody you disagree with is is fine. Palling around with somebody who went out of their way to perpetuate a lie that murdered hundreds of thousands of people and created a ripple effect that in some ways made the situation worse is a little questionable. So fuck you, Ellen. Shut up, you rich asshole. Hey, I don't see, this is the thing. And this is what I, I don't see anybody going after a Michelle Obama. Right? She held his fucking hand. She held his hand. She gives him jokes. candy. That's the thing is you don't see Ellen chumming, like hugging on him. She just sit next to it. Right. Was it which whose funeral was it? Was it um Oh it was, god, it was uh, it was McCain's. Was it McCain's funeral where, where where Obama where Michelle was just going down on Bush the whole time? She's just sucking him off in the right yeah. there in the pew. I mean, I mean, you know, nobody's yeah. going after Michelle Obama for being no. buddy buddy with George Bush. She's like just working those arms out, those sexy arms, just whacking his dick off yeah. like crazy. And and so, so what's the? I mean, I guess what's the disconnect? Why why are we going to go after? Why is everybody going after Ellen? And nobody went after, and hasn't gone after, and hasn't even mentioned, as far as I've seen, Michelle Obama and George W. Bush. Because you cannot go after. A black woman. And the Obamas are saints. And because it's fucking bullshit. I mean, that really, like, jokes aside, it's it's bullshit. It's fucking stupid. Whatever. It's all virtue signaling. Who gives a shit? Who, you know, I mean, I'm sorry, but who gives a shit? We get bigger. The thing about it is we got bigger fish to fry. Obama had a chance when he became president to prosecute against Dick Cheney and George W. Bush. And Obama... Our guy decided, no, it was not going to be the most politically expedient thing, and he didn't think it was necessary. Had I been president, had everybody pissed off at Ellen been president, maybe we would have made a different choice, but that choice has been made, and it's over. Yeah. I mean, Hitler Hitler skated and didn't have to kill himself. All right, so now, and that's why I get so pissed off, really, when everybody's, like, pissing and moaning about what it, and, and quite frankly, Donald Trump with his, uh, with his recent thing about the Kurds, he actually jumped a shark as far as I'm concerned. He is now exactly the president we were afraid he was going to be. Uh-huh. 
Yeah. I've been saying the whole time that, you know, I have. I mean, yeah. all he's been is an asshole. All he's really been is an asshole. He's kind of enforced policies that already existed, but in a much more uh, draconian way. Yeah. But he's really no more than an asshole who just packed the courts with conservatives and pissed everybody off. But by 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 basically abandoning the Kurds uh, so for a hotel and for Putin's dynasty, uh, he has now become, in my opinion, a war criminal. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I, and the weird thing is, and I, I wrote this on Facebook, is that I think that the best thing that ever happened to George W. Bush was Trump becoming president. Because we forgot. We forgot what a, how much we hated Bush. And I would... I never did. Well, I mean, we as that's in all I did. It's like, okay. That's the thing is, like, I go, I go back to it's like I, you know, it's like Eric Wilson writing the shithole when he used to write that, and like I said, everybody pissed off, everybody just like in, insanely yeah. filled with nothing but anger and hatred at Donald Trump. That's who I was for the eight years George W. Bush was in office. I right. was exactly that guy. I, that was that was my whole thing. That's all I wrote about was how much I hated George W. Bush. Yeah, and what a horrifying situation it was. And it's, I guess, in part why I don't do that about Trump, because I did that for eight years with George W. Bush. And you know what? Now he gets to sit at a ball game with Ellen DeGeneres. So I'm pretty sure that none of this vitriol we throw at Trump is going to make one fucking bit of difference. But his paintings. Fuck him. Yeah, whatever. Anyway. Anywho. So, anyway. uh, you guys released uh, a movie, a fucking movie. We did, me and Vincent Truman. Um, yeah, we wrote and produced a movie, Vincent directed it, uh, called Enter the Mollusk, and it's available yes. on Amazon Prime. And so tell me, because yeah, Dane and I watched it. I watched it. I've, I've watched it three times now. Um, I just think it's fucking funnier than hell. <laughs> um, it just, Thank you. you know, and and Dana watched it, and she really liked it. Um, and uh, what was so funny is that sometimes, I guess, sometimes she and I will share our individual Amazon accounts. And so mm-hmm. I went ahead and put, put a, a five-star review on it, and then she tried to do a five-star review, and then they wouldn't let her, oh. and, then mine was, and then mine was gone. Ah, so I was like, you know, it's like whatever. It's not going to kill anybody that my opinion is not weighted. But I gave it a five star review, and then today, today in the ape is a piece is a li- I like to watch about Enter the Mollusk. Yeah, I mean, I'll be honest with you. All my I like to watches are much more about me, like right. Helen Weedle. It's all I. They're more like, hey, here's my experience, and this is what was leading up to my watching this thing. And oh, hey, I watched this. I mean, that's really what my yeah. I like to watches right. are about. Right. So this is certainly not all about the mollusk. It's all about my time with the storytelling community and how fucking happy I am that I'm no longer a part of it because I thought, enter the mollusk. Going back to the film, first of all, it's for the budget I imagine you had, which is probably pretty minuscule, it looks great. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I was really happy with the way it turned out. Yeah. It's funny. It's very well written. The actors are all really good. Um, Just, I'm telling you, Kermitis, Kermitis is... Just the thing about it is, I met Kermitis uh, when I was casting the Nairobi Project. I've told you that's about well, that, right? And Peter Kermitis is who plays yeah. Anal Lacage, um, yeah. the curator of the of, of the Malas. Curator, curator. Yeah. Um, yeah. Essentially, I guess the the star. I mean, it's kind of it's kind of a. a um, it's a shared thing. It's a shared, a shared th- yeah. piece that 
but he is he is a he's definitely piece. a standout. I think. Yeah, he's sort of yeah. like the narrator. He's the he's the he's sort of the the Ricky Gervais of this particular office. Yeah. yeah. So you know, um, but uh, uh, but no, I met Peter. He auditioned for uh, the Nairobi Project, which was a project that Steve Gadlin hired me to produce. Or to keep produced and I directed, mm-hmm. and we ended up doing the Nairobi Project too, um, at the Annoyance Theater, and it just was one of the funniest. I mean, you can look it up, but it was just one of the funniest fucking things I ever saw. Mick Napier said it was the funniest play he'd ever seen on his stage. Wow, which was a Mick, you know, big Mick deal. Napier seen some shit too. Yeah, he's seen some shit. So I, <laughs> I took that. I took that to heart. Yeah, but he auditioned for it, and I've always thought Peter was just one of the funniest motherfuckers I ever saw in Chicago, and. It always makes me happy because he writes for the ape, you know, mm-hmm. and he's been a friend of mine and yours for years. He does the bug house quite a bit. Yep. But the thing is, he's just, and he did a one man show that Dana and I saw. It was really good um, at the Second City. I can't remember what the name of that, you know, they've got like 75 stages now. Now they do, yeah. The Donnie yeah, Skybox like, or? No, what oh, was Donnie one, one of the 75 new ones? Yeah, it was like, you know, it's like, it's like if they have a fucking closet. You know, yeah. they'll put some seats in there and call it a stage. It's one of those. But the Harold nice the Ramis closet, yeah. Yeah, I can't remember what it's called. But anyway, it was a really good show. But it's just so much fun to watch Kremitis get up there. Because, I mean, and he was born for film. Because, I mean, every eye movement, every facial expression yeah. just speaks volumes without being over the top. Just super funny. He, so when we originally wrote that character, it was much more, I guess, subdued compared to what, Kremitis brought to it. It was um, the kind of like the the NPR snooty, mm-hmm. you know. At least that's that's how I felt with it. Yeah. Um, still, it up. still kind of the villain. But when he came in, I mean, he auditioned for it and he was great. Um, originally, Vincent wanted to be Anal, but like he just okay. could, he Vincent couldn't find the character in him. Like he just and then Peter came in and was like, "This is." This is an all. Yeah, this is the way we gotta go. This is perfect. But at the first table read we did with this thing, the scene where um, Peter's talking about, or Nal is talking about the history of the mollusk and like its God, origins. That was funny. Oh my Christ. And he goes, that well, was there's, such a... there were, God, um, that's so funny. Uh, of course, slaves. I knew his name. <laughs> and uh, like when he goes, damn, let's go down and see that motherfucking oh. mollusk. I, that was not like written at all and he just dropped that in there i almost fell out of my chair i was laughing so yeah. hard it was and we were just like what the that and then that became i from my opinion i mean i don't know what it felt like for peter or even vincent as a director but from as the writer and as then like a co you know a, a co-star with him that for me was the the germination of Okay. What the character became. Like that absurd. He's so clueless in such a, well, a see, villainous in way. That, in that same scene, uh, and to me, and it was one of the, it's, it's still one of my favorite little moments to show how basically clueless and, uh-huh. and, uh, and ch- is what he says, you know, <laughs> slaves. Black slaves. Black slaves. <laughs> like what other fucking? They weren't allowed to read, about? Uh, which is which is terrible. Uh, but but some were smart. I think that. But some were smart was a line that, some were that smart. Vincent threw oh. out at an early, like a really God early table it. read, and I was. It was just. Yeah, it's a. But yeah, I just think Prometheus <laughs> is so fucking funny, so and funny, then it goes yeah. to it goes from the sort of subversively. Uh, 
like uh, British office, you know, uh, mm-hmm. what was it? What's his name? Brent. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's like that kind of like really clueless asshole who is so full of himself. We're the only one that charges money. Mm -hmm. I mean, that kind of thing. To go from that and then to just throw in the moment where he's having the like uh, thing and he's just sitting with his balls out. I laughed so hard. I can't get enough. I don't even, the first time I watched that scene where it's them, you know, it's where the the one fresh-faced guy like giving his take on a story about his Mm -hmm. grandpa to the rest of the storytellers. And and I I couldn't even listen because every time Karina's on there, just him laying there, <laughs> his fucking underwear right. and that and that ascot, uh-huh. <laughs> I just couldn't stop laughing. It just it just distracted me that much. I thought it was hysterical. Yeah, I just think it's very funny movie. It's uh, and it was tricky writing it because Vincent and I have both been a part of the storytelling community to some degree. We've both performed at storytelling shows. Yeah, Let's yeah, put it that yeah. way. You've worked, you've worked with these people. Well, I mean, that's the thing is you know them pretty pretty well, all the people that were sort of archetyped. And it starts, it all came from, the, the concern we had was that we didn't want to, I, was, I almost said we didn't want to offend anybody, but fuck offending people. I don't give a shit about that. We didn't want to be mean. We didn't want to hurt anybody's feelings. And because there are people that we we genuinely respect a lot of people and a lot of things in the storytelling community to a point. And the point where we stop is what you see in the movie. It's making fun of, it's calling out the bullshit that comes with the inauthenticity, you know, the feigning authenticity of these are true, honest stories. Well, except you have to like work it out and punch it up and trim it down and, you know, and, like, so without all right, so let's so so the guy's thing is I didn't write it, so I got to see it all fresh. Yeah. Um Yeah, maybe I shouldn't break it down too far and just let those who haven't watched it yet just watch it. And then if they have questions they can email Nobody's me. listening to this podcast. Okay. It's just you and I talking. All right, all right. so uh all right, so double D was totally GPA, yeah. We're not we're not doing this. Yes, we are. Oh, no, we're not we're doing, doing this. this. Oh no, we're totally doing this. You don't have to answer. I'm just kidding. Yeah, we're totally doing this. So I okay. Yeah. So what was the question? G, Double D was uh, like completely GPA. James Gordon, totally him. I don't know who James Gordon is. Yeah, you're. A no, I, I honestly don't know who James Gordon is. You know who GPA is. Who wrote that character? Well, Vince and I wrote the character. Okay, but mostly Vince because Vince does GPA. What is G like? Grade point average? I don't understand what you're talking no, about. No, GPA GPA stands for greatest poet alive. And GPA is a poet who is uh, who used the fact that he was a black man. I, I mean, G- look, the, 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 right, I, I tell no, you this: if there's a, if there's a guy out there, well, hang fine. on, hang on. If there's a guy out there who calls himself the greatest poet alive, yeah, and uses his race as a way to prop himself up, then he deserves a good skewering. Whether or so, not so he du- is double D, so, I don't know. Yeah, double D. All right. So uh, your character, your character was Nestor Gomez, right? Except it was very oversexed in Russian. My character was based off of a guy that I knew 19 years ago. Come on, Nestor. Broken English. Has won the moth, has won the mollusk 27 times. That's Nestor. The character was based off this guy, Marius, who was this... (laughs) uh, Who was this beefy... Really, really, I mean, genuinely a nice guy, but this beefy... um, he might have been Ukrainian. I don't know. He was something. It was, it was Nestor. It was Nestor. No. Um, Helen Weedle is totally Diane Castile. That is not true at all. 
That is not she's true. She's standing. Uh, okay, here's the thing. Here's the thing. And I, I mean, it's it's fun. Is First of all, she's suburban. Second of all, she's in her kitchen. And if you've seen Diane's kitchen, I don't know where you filmed that, but it looked like you were filming in Diane's kitchen. The 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 holding of random props is completely Diane. And that. And, and all the hard now now all the rape stories not really that's not Diane but just sort of like the the the, the demeanor her look it was like you know and it wasn't mean but it was very funny to me is like yeah that's totally Diane the, the I'm a story I'm a storyteller but I'm not a story giver that is totally Diane because she charges I mean she pays but she charges every fucking person that walks through the door she's looking to make money with her show which is fine. So that's totally that's totally Diane, right? That's no. Uh that character was strongly based on a on a different person entirely. Karen O'Donnell. Karen O'Donnell. No, this is Yes, he just but, you just you, Yes, it was based no, Okay. No. The, the, yeah, all of the, the characters yeah. are an amalgam. They're an amalgamation uh, of other of other the, characters. They the, are Okay. Okay. This is satire. Lily B. That was all Lily B. 100% Lily B. Who was? The woman with the billion names. Prez, 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 Prez. Hang on one second. That's all Lily B. Do you honestly think that Vincent and I are dumb enough to to wake that bear? Yeah. We might be, but we didn't. Dude, it was 100%. I love the line. Lily B. does not own the angry... Latino. No, but but she is sort of the archetype. In fact, my favorite line that just smacked of Lily B. It was, I don't need any admirers. All my fans know I don't need admirers. You know, I mean, just it's so self-aggrandizing and also completely kind of clueless in this. Look at how raw I am and angry. I thought she was great. I think Solis was so Sully is amazing. But here, here's the she thing: is that great. these people don't just live in Chicago. We can we can put names on the Chicago people that that are stereotypes, right? Because mm-hmm. that's what these people are. These people are the worst kind of stereotypes trumped up. Like we we jack them up because that's what comedy is, right? You ratchet things up and you make it more insane than it actually is. Uh, but I these people live in New York. These people live in L.A. These people live in fucking Oklahoma. These people live in the suburbs. I mean, these people are all over the place. So if you want to, we can call them Lily B. We can call them Don Hall. I mean. Yeah, well, so that's good. Because I didn't, and, and and that's the thing is I'm, because I'm watching, you know, and I didn't see, I didn't, I did not see a spoof of me. I was a little disappointed in that, but I, you know, it's like, I get it. I'm not part of that. I'll give anymore. you this. I will feed you this much. Uh, we, all of these characters in the film are not, they're not direct ripoffs of real people we know. They are, uh, I don't believe they are for a second. There are stereotypes and there are, there are archetypes that exist in the storytelling community. Well, I worked with them for too long. I know exactly who these people are. I did write a piece. I did write a bit that is specifically about you. Oh, really? But it wasn't in there. When they're talking about um, Helen Weedle, when she goes and does the suburban story show, okay, and they say yeah. that is some bullshit. He is a racist. That host is yeah. a racist, yeah. misogynist. Yeah. yeah, 
that's that is the one thing I'm like I'm this is how I'm going to write Don into this. Yeah, I, well what I I I caught that and I thought <laughs> okay, that's 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 a little bit of me and it's also about the show it's a little bit about a Scott Whitehair. You know, they're like fucking did that show and I didn't even win. And he's like, well there are no judges. They just they're just telling <laughs> stories in a in a fucking church basement or whatever it was in a nursing home. Yeah, and I thought, yeah, that's sort of like a, a, a an homage that those people, if they don't have the possibility of winning, then they think it's bullshit. Right. That's yeah, what we're and, making and, and, fun of. That's the whole Scott's, thing. And Scott, quite frankly, has been accused by Lily B um, of being a sexist, racist. You know, he he was the one she went after before she went after me. So I mean, it's like. That's kind of the game. So I and the difference is that Scott, Scott is smart enough not to take the bait. Oh yeah, exactly. And I'm not. <laughs> right. And I'm really, really not. Right. I was not smart enough not to take the bait. I totally took the bait. <laughs> um, you know. Ooh, free pork chop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, oh look, you know, yeah, yeah. No, I get it. Um, no, I. It's it. They're just. It's just comedy. They're just cartoons of of people that may or may not exactly exist. I mean, we're not, we're not trying to go after anybody specifically. I don't believe it for a second. It's Let's take true. a quick break. Let's take a quick break and we'll come back. And I'm we'll going to go off this. Uh, go get my lawyer. Hey, I'm Josh Bell. I'm Jason Harris. Hey, Josh, we're friends in real life, but we're also co-hosts on this new podcast called Awesome Movie Year, where we take a look back at an awesome year for movies and do a deep dive looking at movies, including the best picture winner, the biggest movie at the box office, future cult classics, and more. Including the biggest flop. And this season, we're doing 1994. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. That could be Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify. We're all over the web as well. Got Awesome Movie Year on all the socials and awesome movieyear.com so please like us subscribe and uh if you do like us give us a five-star rating because we love you working with vincent was a lot of fun this is the first time that he and i have ever worked together um and we've known that guy for fucking ever yeah. yeah and we want to keep working together like we're ready to get on to the next project um because it was so much fun he he's weird he's quick yeah. Oh yeah. Um, I mean, like his brain is like constantly. It's just it's it's great to be around that kind of creative energy. Um, I think that he's very smart. He's very uh, insightful. Uh, so as a writer, he was always bringing up new ideas and was willing to listen to different ideas. So it was great co- to collaborate with him that way. Um, but you also told me he, that uh, at the at the at the the like the screening. Yeah. A woman last got week. Up yeah. And, and basically was praising him for being an incredibly lazy <laughs> right. director. So tell me about that, because that made me laugh really hard. So at, at, at the screening last week at Haymarket Pub and Brewery, where we uh, host Bug House, Chicago, uh, we had a Q&A with the audience. And one of Vincent's friends, a woman who, I, she's like from the background acting community. And she was, I believe that she was in our movie, um, she'd audition. <laughs> hey man, they're fucking background. Who pays attention? I was a main cast member. Like I have time to deal with the fucking background actors, the fucking talking chairs. Come I on. I think she was in the movie. There's only like six people in the movie. So it's like, like I, I think know. she was in there. I don't know. All right. That's very funny. Uh, no, oh, but you Hollywood types. Right. Um, so, but she said, she's like, I just want to say, and this was not a question, which kind of annoyed me from. It's like a Q&A. This is not the time to loud. Like, shut up, lady. But anyway, 
We appreciate her kindness. She said, working with you guys was so wonderful. Uh, Vincent as a director was so great. He, Vincent, you were quick. You didn't spend all day t- trying to take a thousand different shots. You just one or two and then it was done. So we weren't sitting around all day. Da, da, da. So basically talking about how, what a quick director he was. And all I'm thinking as she's saying this is, you're making him sound like an asshole, like he sucks at being a director, like he's lazy and doesn't want to do the cover shot, doesn't want to try another angle just to have it. It just sound because it just sounded really bad. I don't think that was not her. I don't think that that was her intention. That's certainly not her intention. But I when you told me that story, baby, what she was saying was that it's yeah, like he's the anti David Fincher. Yes, and yeah. there were times when I said to him something. Do you want to take another another go at it? He's like, no, I think we're good. I'm like, okay, you're the director. I trust you. And I think it turned out fine. I think it's great, yeah. he knew exactly what he needed to see, and that's he's more decisive than I would be as a director. And, yeah. and that's fine. Um, he is good because I got to see him direct the other actors, but he also directed me because I was acting in it. And yeah. he was patient with when I would fuck up my lines. He was patient with me because he also had, there was a lot more pressure on me to get it right. Because, like, yeah. dude, you're the co-writer and the co-producer. Know your shit. Set a good example yeah. for the other actors. Yeah. Know your lines. You know, ass. and when I butchered it, um, he was patient, but he would also give me good direction that got me where it needed to be. So I think I think he was a, he was a great director. Um, and he edited the thing, too. I think he did a great job. Yeah. Like I said, it's it moves very quickly. Um, it's a perfect length. It does. It doesn't drag. Mm-mm. You know, thirty minutes is is actually quite good for what you guys did. Yeah. Um, you know, I just like I said, it just it just it it really made me laugh um, in a lot of ways. So mm-hmm. now, what what is okay? It's on Amazon Prime. Um, what's the hope? What do you, what do you, what do you guys hope this is going to? What what do you think is going to happen? What do you want to happen? Well, we want we want people to watch it. You know, well, obviously, yeah, God, no shit. So, uh, and then it's it's we're, we're gonna put some money behind some advertising and some marketing and get it out into other markets so it's not just a Chicago thing. Like, we don't want just the Chicago storytelling community to watch this. Um, My personal goal is that Ira Glass watches this since the cocksucker wouldn't read my book or write a forward for my book, that he'll watch this. I love the fake Ira Glass quote at the top. I think that was a real quote. That's not a real quote. I... Are you sure? Because I... Good stories happen to people who can tell them. Right. Doesn't that sound that like something Ira Glass would say? It's such a well, fucking like idiotic would, storytelling he, thing to it say. Sounds like, it sounds like something he would say, but it's also not at all something he would say. Because it's because the whole concept of good stories is not that the only people that have good stories happen to him are the ones that are able to tell the stories. I think he, I, I think that Vincent, it, I remember him, I think I remember his totally I'm going to have to ask. I'm going to have to ask. man. There's no way Ira Glass said that. Because Vincent and, said and that, Sarah. I will be shocked. They went and saw him live, like shortly before we started working on this project. And whatever Ira Glass live is, it's just him sitting there talking about stories, talking about what a egomaniacal prick he is, <laughs> how he has the worst voice in radio. Fuck Ira Glass. Um, 
I think I think that that's an actual quote that Vincent and Sarah heard him say. Well, I, I will have to I, confirm this with, with Vince. Yeah, I I don't I it, you know I'll I'll be shocked if he actually said that. I will be. Quite it's surprised. so not but that, it's not so that perfect. I have any stake. It's perfect, but I, it's not like I have any stake. I think that I hope it's a fake quote because that made me laugh even harder. Because I look I I saw that quote and I went. He didn't say that. Oh, fuck. We're on the races. Here we go. See, I think if he did say it, it's even funnier because that's the truth in comedy. Fair. Fair enough. All right. So people watch it. Now what? We'd like, we'd like to get, get it to, to other to, markets. Yeah, we'd like you, to get you, to some I other mean, markets. You're we'd looking like to, to get a deal. You're looking to get money. Is this a funnier die like wannabe kind of thing? What, um, what, what's, what's going on here? I mean, I'd like to send it to more, um, get it in front of some festivals. And see what kind okay. of attention we can get there. Um, and then just kind of see what happens. I think part of part of my problem as a as a creative um, uh. is that I finish a project. And you're done. And then I, I move on. I'm ready to go on, go on to the next thing. Forgetting. You're like that, you're like that dude that has sex. And, as soon as you, and, and while you're having sex, you're like, oh, you're the most beautiful woman. And then you come and it's like, get the fuck away yeah, from me. Yeah, I need to go That's find the next one. Yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. What That's I forget what is that I need I need to put in the time. I need to do the pillow talk. I need to like make her breakfast or something like that. But yeah. like I'm done with it, and it's like I need to go on to the next thing. I don't want to do the marketing and the you know all that yeah. shit that comes with it to make it successful. So I can so, keep so, so I can keep fucking no her. So you're basically no different than every other artist. Uh, yeah. I don't want to do the marketing. I don't want. I don't want to. Yeah, I get it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And marketing is what I do for the do real for money living. anyway but i so hate why it, would you you know yeah well we all do we all kind of hate it yeah yeah it's yeah, that, that's cool well cool i think it was a great sh- i like i said i i i loved it uh, it was very funny um and i it, thought you were very funny thank you um uh even though yeah, everyone i don't want to give it away but even though everybody the characters are unlikable and everybody gets what they deserve in the end it does come from a place of love, because if you can't love something, oh, you can't make sake. fun of. I don't know. Yeah, you know, I, I tried. Right. I tried. All right, Don Rickles, Jesus Christ. Ah, uh, yeah. No, I, yeah. I love. I love the. Uh, I kid because I, I love. Yeah. <laughs> no, you don't. You guys don't love the storytelling scene at all. Um, you love some parts of it, and the parts that you don't like are the ones that are the most prominent and the most obnoxious. And that's okay. Yeah, I mean, well, and that's—I okay feel that way about hate a lot of things. That's what I hate about the publishing world or fucking baseball. I mean, like the loudest—you well, know—the you know, uh, loudest, uh, most annoying know, as, thing is the worst part. As as a tag to the conversation, I just—I I mean, I will say it's 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 one of those things. Maybe it, you know, and you guys have been around enough times. You're both in your forties, but uh, how old is Vincent? He's your age. Okay, all right. Well, then he's in his fifties. Yeah. But anyway, after you get to a certain point, you've been in enough art scenes, you, you start to realize that it doesn't matter if it's improv or storytelling or stand-up or uh, painters or musicians. You know, basically, put a bunch of artists in a room together, and it's high school. Yeah, and the, the the big thing, and I think that this is... Eventually it tips over into that kind of bullshit, no matter what the scene is. This is at the core of, for me, as, as I was approaching this, this is at the core of the film. The, like I said a, a few minutes ago, it's the, inauthentic, the inauthenticity of it, the bullshit. Like, I, 
I, I wrote a short story years ago. It's shit, and I don't think it's published anywhere. But it was about a musician who couldn't play an instrument. So what he did is he developed this heroin addiction, and like that became his thing. So he was this famous musician with a heroin addiction and all the like all like the rock star yeah, tropes. The rock star life. But had never released an album. So he became this legend of being a rock star without ever actually having to do it. You know, so that idea of um putting your brand, putting this idea of what you wanna be without actually doing the work or being completely inauthentic in how you go about it. Yeah, you know, well, and, I mean, and that's like that's the, one of the things I wrote. I wrote today was, uh, you know, I remember the thing about it is I remember the early days of '90s improv, and there was a sense of freshness, mm-hmm. and anybody can do it, and it was fun. And then as soon as more and more people got involved, and people got into it for different reasons, and the institution started charging a whole lot of money, and then there were stakes to it that were like real life stakes. People became shittier and shittier, mm-hmm. and the scene became less and less about that fun. Right. Same thing with the storytelling. It's like, you know, right. when 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 I started in 2012 as the the host of the moth, there was a real sense of sort of like anybody can get up and tell a story. And oh my, you know, yeah. this is great and there wasn't any of that cynicism of I'm going to try to tell the same kind of story or yeah. I'm going to, you know, I'm I'm going to massage my narrative so that it fits this thing, you know, and and then as it became an opportunity for people to be seen, and get certain. I mean, I wrote about this a long time ago about yeah. how the the competitive spirit of the moth is what's destroying storytelling. Right, is the idea that it has to be a pissing contest and that there are factions, and all of a sudden it went from, well, this is a really good thing, people getting up on stage and just telling their personal stories, and it's quite lovely, and it was a very authentic experience, and it was fun, and then it became, well, what about me, and what about yeah. my people, and what about my tribe, and what about you know these kinds of people, and why aren't these, and I want this, and I want to, and then it just became more and more about uh, factions mm-hmm. and pissing all over each other and saying, I'm the, it became Dada, yeah. If you're familiar with the history of Dada, is you yeah. know, they created they created this non-art, and as soon as it became internationally sort of uh, uh, heralded, then mm-hmm. all the Dadaists split up, hated each other's guts, <laughs> and the game for the Dadaists was that they all claimed that they invented Dada, right. and the, the other guys were bullshit. And that was kind of the game, and that's kind of what has happened to the storytelling community, which is why I think it's ripe for this particular mockumentary we'll call it yeah well and here here's the the experience that turned me off to the storytelling community I, turn me off isn't the right that just kind of made me go yeah, yeah taste i'm, mouth, I'm yeah. not gonna like spend every night going to seeking yeah. these shows out as as much as 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 hard anymore you know i'm gonna i'm gonna downshift a little bit yeah so it was after i won the moth at haymarket with yeah. you and i was doing the grand slam and my story was was my story. Um, yeah. And I was talking to, I think it was Jennifer. Was that who the producer is yeah, or was? Yeah, Jen- Jen- Jennifer Hickson. Je- yeah. So, and, you know, she was... Great person. Yeah. She's, she's awesome. Great. And she's just doing her job. But I'm telling her the story. She's like, okay. And this is in The Mollusk. Like, oh, yeah. You know, there's that line where the interviewer asks um, Anal, you know, what if somebody just wants to tell a good story like they're talking to their best friend? 
what else you got? What else you got? And that's how I felt with Jennifer. She's like, okay, can you do this? And she like, and the story was fine, but like, it was just like, well, I thought I can get it down to five minutes, but like I'm being directed or instructed to shift and, and that's fine too, but don't call it authentic when it's not. Yeah. You know, she, she and I had our, our moment and that was one of the reasons why that was uh, an uneasy uh, hire an uneasy, uneasy job for mm-hmm. them yeah. was because they hired me because, I mean, that was the funniest thing about being hired for the moth was they hired me because I did the, my, I did like, it was the second, no, it was the first Haymarket moth. Mm-hmm. It was the first time they'd done it. They'd been doing it at Martyrs. Yeah. Uh, Babylon was the host. And I came up and I did, uh, you know, a story and I videotaped myself because at the time they didn't say you couldn't. Right. And I put it and I put it up on my website mm-hmm. and they really liked the story and they wanted to put it on the radio, but they wanted me to take it off my website. And I said, no. Yeah. And so the whole thing was, well, we, you know, we'd, we'd love to put you on the radio, but you have to take it off. No. Yeah. It's like, you know, we were wondering if you were interested in hosting, but you got to take it off your website. No. And then they hired me anyway. It still was up on my website. Yeah. And so that was sort of the, the the balancing act of them hiring me. And at one point, I remember Jennifer, and this is before the first time I did the Grand Slam. Yeah. Um, I had written a story, and I was hosting, but I always did a story to kind of warm the audience up because that's part of the fun of being a host of yeah. the month. Yeah. And uh, in it, in it, it was it, that was the thing is it was definitely a story about me fat shaming another person mm-hmm. and it, and so the, the direction of the story is what a big dick I was at the time. Yeah. Those play um, well. You know, well, I mean, it was just, that was, that was you know, the story I wanted to tell. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and she, she got back with me and she goes, you know, I have, you know, you might want to be careful. I have some problems with you calling her a fat girl. And I went, but that's what I called her. I called her a fat girl. That's that's, that's the, the point, point of the story. Of the, story right. the point of the story was right. this is who I was then and this is who I am now. Right. And she just had a real problem with it. And I just told the story. I didn't give a shit what she said. I told the story exactly the way I wrote it. Yeah. And it went over fine. Yeah. And she, But she was really unhappy that I continued, that I used the term fat girl. Well, if you take the, if you said, an oh, I hey, girl who's bigger than I think she should be. Kind of not the same thing. Yeah, no, I mean, that's, and then one day so, I learned to not call her the girl who's bigger than I think she should be. Yeah, it's, it's, shut know. the fuck up. Yeah, and you know, and the, the other so, thing is that there's this about the inauthenticity of it because that's that's the thing that rubs me the wrong way. Really gets you, yeah. Is the storyteller voice? Yeah, where it just sounds so rehearsed. So I can get up and I'll tell you the story, like the story that I used at that moth where I won the Grand Slam is. Yeah, I had been dating this girl. Um, we'll, we'll call her Jamie because that was her name and we were hooking up and they just like I get in it right versus I was in college and I was dating this girl and um, you know like there's there's just there's this an like NPR. there's, there's an, an NPR, NPR yeah. I'm reading it this rehearsed we were my brother and I were standing at the bus stop waiting for the bus and the rain was coming down in sheets and shut the fuck up. Like, would you just get to it? You yeah. know, but like, you're, and I get it. Like, you're creating this world, but it just sounds like, whoa, fuck. Like, all I want to do is just go to John McCain's funeral, join in a, with Michelle Obama, jerking off Bush. Like, just give me something else to do. 
All right, Simeon cohort, here's Don and David with the six things you should do for the week. Uh, I want you to watch The Mollusk. Enter The Mollusk. That's a, it's a watch. Yeah, give it a go and leave a review on Amazon. Amazon Prime. All you have to do is type in Enter The Mollusk in Amazon Prime's first thing comes up. Um, you may also f- find a lot of Ween, links to Ween's album Mollusk. Yeah, well, no, but if you it's look new. For, like this if, thing. <laughs> if you just Google enter the mollusk, yeah. you're going to get pictures of mollusks. Yeah. You're going to get some ween. You're going to go like, just go to Amazon and type enter the mollusk, and you the first hit you're going to get is just that Amazon Prime. And what will help it rise to the top is if you do leave a review and be honest. Yeah. Um, be honest when you give it five stars. Be honest when you say that David Himmel and Vincent Truman are the greatest writers and movie producers that ever existed. Um, you know, be authentic with your true yeah. self. All right, mine is, my first is a watch. Um, I want you to watch The Sinner, season two. Um, This is produced by Jessica Biel. She was the star, or one of the stars in the first season. Um, Seventh Heaven. It is, is, uh, uh, Bill Pullman plays uh, this detective, Harry Ambrose. I mean, it's based on a novel, a novelization kind of thing, but... I really liked season one and season two is on Netflix and, and it's been out for a while, but, um, Carrie Coon is in it. Tracy Letts is in it. Um, it's, it's really good. It's really, I mean, basically the gist of it is, I mean, the center one is that she does this, she commits this crime. It's obvious she committed a crime. Everybody knows she committed a crime. There's no question that she committed the crime, but Bill Pullman's character, Harry Ambrose thinks there's more to the story. Mm. And so he, who's a very flawed and troubled sort of uh, individual anyway, he sticks around and does his detective work to figure out what the story is. And once you figure out what the story is, it provides all this context to the crime itself. Mm -hmm. Really interesting. This one is, I'm not going to, I'm actually, I won't give anything away except for the fact that the opening scene, it's, uh, it's, it's a, a couple of parents, mom and dad and their kid. They're going to Niagara Falls. Um, they're just like a normal family. You can see there's a little tension between mom and dad, but okay. And they go, they break down, um, in upstate New York and they have to leave their car. They walk to a hotel, they get a hotel room and, you know, everything seems pretty normal, except that you think the mom and dad are probably having some problems. Kid comes in the next morning from the breakfast bar, gives them both tea and poisons them and they die on the fucking floor. Oh my God. And then the kid positions the bodies like with like a desk sh- death shroud and and rocks on their eyeballs and then goes hides out in the the woods just outside the, the hotel. That's Fun. the beginning. Yeah, you know the kid poisoned him. You know that you know there there is no question that he did this. And then Harry Ambrose shows up and you start to find out things. One by one, just revelations about how this backstory, where did this come from? What the fuck is going on? Absolutely fascinating, this center. Okay. I love it. All right. I love it. Uh, my next thing is also a watch. Um, when you're done with Enter the Mollusk, you've been done with that wonderful half hour, just to remind you of what George W. Bush did during his eight years as President of the United States, watch the documentary, The World According to Dick Cheney. Oh, yeah. Yes, it's about Dick Cheney. 100% about Dick Cheney. And it's fucking terrifying. But Bush was a part of this. Bush mm-hmm. was a part. This was still, even though Cheney pulled all the strings and, you know, we can call Bush a puppet of Cheney, but whatever, it's fine. He was still a part of it. Just 
give that a watch and remember that when it's when Ellen's talking about respect people with different opinions. Yeah, but also maybe don't hang out with fucking war criminals. All right. My second is uh, last week I suggested one of my to-dos was to read Don Quixote. Mm-hmm. Uh, I haven't, and this thing, I haven't read this yet. I bought it. Okay. So I haven't had time to read it. Yeah. But my second thing is Salman Rushdie. And I, you know, the thing about it is I just love Salman Rushdie. I love his writing. I love where he goes, where mm-hmm. he goes. I just, I love it. Yeah. Um, he just came out with a book called Quixote. It is spelled Q-U-I-C-H-O-T-T-E. And it is a modern telling. Basically, uh, I saw an interview with him and Bill Maher, and it basically, it's a modern telling of Don Quixote, but it is, his challenge was, I'm going to create a character, an old man character, who is so universally optimistic about the possibilities of humanity and America specifically, hmm. and have him travel throughout the United States and be confronted with opioid addiction and racism <laughs> and sex, and see if this character can be so deluded as to continue to keep his optimism. Yeah. That's the book. Uh, I bought it. I think you should buy it, and I think you should read it, because I think it sounds absolutely wonderful. Cool. All right. Well, before we go to something lame like reading, <laughs> Doink! you fucking virgin nerd, uh, <laughs> watch another movie this week. Um, I will probably, since since I can't, re- oh God, I almost got choked up just saying this. God, I'm a pussy. Pussies are powerful and strong, amazing things. Okay. Um, Three, two, one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, since I'm not running the marathon, I don't have to give a shit about what, how I'm taking care of my body, really, other than resting yeah, sure. my broken leg. Um, is this weekend, uh, probably tonight, um, is watch... El Camino. Oh, yeah. A Breaking Bad movie. Yeah. Uh, where it picks up where Breaking Bad ended Jesse Pinkman yeah. blowing through the gates and taking off through the desert in an El Camino. Yeah. I, it's kind of, some people say like the Vince Gilligan is like really ringing out every oh, last drop. Oh, every fo- Oh, sure. And like, there's still great characters show your, that you love. There's so much story still to tell and Vince Gilligan is so good at, yeah. With at, at least with these characters, hey, if anybody if anybody has a question whether or not El Camino is going to be completely fucking amazing, they didn't watch Better Call Saul because right. you would not have think from after Breaking Bad with eight seasons of Breaking Bad, just like brilliant, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Um, and what I always said about Breaking Bad is Breaking Bad was basically I Love Lucy set in, <laughs> you know. It was like it was like you know Walter White was Lucy. Oh my god! And, and Jesse Pinkman was Ethel. And it's like let's see what kind of wacky bullshit they get into that they can't figure out how to get out of, and then they get out of it. They figure out a a, a crazy way to get out of it. But every single yeah. episode was, oh my god, they're selling meth and somebody's coming after them. Oh fuck, they're totally imp- they don't know what to do and they just argue. eat the chocolates. Eat the chocolates. Eat the chocolates. Yeah. Disintegrate the body. Them. Disintegrate exactly. the body. Yeah, you know, no, that's but a, I've never heard that, you say that before. That's yeah, hilarious. But the fact that then they then Gilligan <laughs> takes takes a minor character and makes an entire series, four mm-hmm. seasons, that is, in my opinion, easily as good as Breaking Bad, and in some ways better. I think I it's, think it, you know, it's, I think it's a better mm-hmm. is. So if you have any question about El Camino, just shut the fuck up and watch it. If yeah. you watch Breaking Bad even for four episodes, 
you should watch El Camino. That's yeah. Thing. Yeah, I agree. I completely agree with that. Um, my last thing is watch Joker. Oh, I it forgot about dark. that guy. Yeah. It is dark. It is, uh, it is, uh, I think it's fucking brilliant. Um, it's, uh, you know, it's one of those pieces of film that is polarized, you know, kind of everybody, you know, but I mean, everybody's why? got an opinion on it. Well, okay. And the thing about it is I under, I do, I understand that if you're like, if you're terrified, if you are of the same stripe of fear mongering that, um, I remember when I was a kid and my mom was terrified because there was a whole movement about satanic backmasking and that certain rock songs, if you oh. played them backwards, they had satanic things. Scared the shit out of me when I was a kid. My mom made me listen to this eight series, eight cassette tape series called Shatter the Darkness Ministries. Fucking scared the living dick out of me. It's all just sort of like puritanical yeah. fear mongering. Did you Anybody listen to those tapes backwards though? I didn't. Ooh, um, that's where the weird any, shit is. Anybody, so I understand the argument that, oh, watching the Joker is going to inspire incels and the alt-right. It's an apologetic about, you know, the alt-right, about maniacs. It's a, no, it's not. Yeah. No, it's not. You fucking puritanical fear. You fucking tipper gore. Rap lyrics are making everybody <laughs> victim, like criminals. <laughs> Fuck off. What this is, is this is, first of all, a brilliant, uh, I think, uh, take on mental illness mm-hmm. and on someone, whether he's white or black, it doesn't matter, on on this particular character, this particular human being has hit every possible roadblock imaginable with the sole exception that he's white. Everything else goes wrong for this guy. And, and Dana actually put it the best, is there's a moment in the film where he... He's, society has just basically told him he has no purpose. He has no business being alive. He has nothing to do. There is absolutely no reason for him to exist. And in this, there's this moment in the movie where you see him find his purpose and realize that he does have value and there is something he's there to do. Now, unfortunately, it's to kill people and be a homicidal maniac. However, it is this finding of this coming of age kind of thing, this finding of his purpose. Joaquin Phoenix is brilliant. I think the writing is quite brilliant. I think his direction, I, you know, mm-hmm. I, I thought The Hangover was a great movie. It was a fun movie, but I never saw Todd Phillips as like being an auteur. Yeah. I think, I think it's, I think it's a masterful film. And I absolutely think, even if you think it's going to be like this, oh, white incels yeah. apology, watch it anyway. You're wrong about the politics, but watch it anyway. Well, it sounds like, if it's a if it's a movie about this singular person finding their purpose, it's a lot like the jerk. I mean, wasn't that the whole point of Steve Martin's The Jerk? Is that he found a special is, purpose? And yeah, it's it's like the jerk if if it's if if he's not just sort of mildly retarded, but actually <laughs> well, yeah, dangerously, yeah, yeah, like he's dangerously mentally ill. Yeah, um, and uh, it's an unreliable. I mean, there are elements of Fight Club in here. There are elements of Taxi Driver. There are mm-hmm. elements of King of Comedy. Um, and De Niro's in up. in this. Yeah, in he Joker, plays. He right? play, yeah, he play, Yeah, he's in it. And I mean, it just. I just thought it was brilliant. I think everybody yeah. should see it. I really do. Well, there you go. That's the show. That's the show. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week. Groovy. You can listen to the Literate Ape Cast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or any place you find your podcast, Jones. If you enjoy listening to two white guys holding court, review or share the show on your own platforms, or throw us a few bucks on Patreon. 
For more information about Literate Ape, go to literateape.com and check out the rest of our podcasts, all of our writing, and our events. Music on the Apecast is courtesy of Mike Vinopal and Local Motive. You can find them all over Chicago and online at locomotiveband.com. <laughs>